as a setting for the message this morning, I'm reading some verses from the 16th chapter of Matthew and then reading some from the 17th chapter. From that time forth began Jesus to show the disciples how he must go into Jerusalem and suffer many things of his elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised again the third day. Then Peter took him and began to rebuke him, saying, Be it far from thee, Lord, this shall not happen unto thee. But he turned and said unto Peter, Get thee behind me, Satan, thou art an offense unto me, for thou savest not the things that be of God, but those that be of man. Then said Jesus unto his disciples, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whosoever shall, will save his life shall lose it, and whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. For what is a man profited if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man shall come in the glory of his Father with his angels, and then he shall reward every man according to his works. Verily I say unto you, there be some standing here which shall not see taste of death till they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. And after six days, Jesus taketh Peter, James, and John, his brother, and bringeth them into, up into a high mountain apart, and was transfigured before them. And his face did shine as the sun, and his raiment as white as the light. And behold, there appeared unto him Moses and Elias talking with him. Then answered Peter and said unto Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If thou wilt, uh, let us make three tabernacles, one for thee, one for Moses, and one for Elias. While he yet spake, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and behold, the vo a voice out of the cloud which said, This is my beloved Son, hear ye him. And when the disciples heard, they fell on their face, and were sore afraid. And Jesus came and touched them, and said, Rise, and be not afraid. Now, these are such interesting verses. I'd like to remind any who are listening in, or anybody who may be here this morning, that uh, hasn't stopped to think this thing over that uh, this division in chapters is uh, part of the work of man. Uh, this doesn't have anything to do with inspiration, this division here where chapters are divided. So I think the latter part of this 16th chapter of the Gospel of Matthew and the first part of the 17th chapter of Matthew are tied together. And it seems to me that these verses should come right along here without any to stop at all. I think we might go back and repeat uh, several of these verses. For the Son of Man shall come in the glory of his Father with his angels, and then shall he uh, reward every man according to his work shall be. Verily I say unto you, there be some standing here which shall not taste of death till they shall see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. And, after six days, Jesus takes Peter, James, and John up and his brother, and bring them up in high mountain apart, and so on. You know, my friends, I want to just be very practical this morning, and if I can, to begin with, I'd like to sort of get in the role of a teacher. I'm not a teacher, yet uh, every preacher of the gospel is supposed to have a teaching element in his ministry. Apostle Paul wrote Timothy, he told him to do the work of evangelists, he was reprove, rebuke, exhort, with all long suffering and teaching. A pastor is not really an evangelist, but he's supposed to do at times the work of an evangelist. And sometimes it becomes necessary for evangelists to do the work of a pastor or a teacher. But I do feel like, for the proper understanding of this scripture, we should uh, get this setting uh, so we've got it clear in our own mind. Now, I do not wish to be dogmatic. I, I walk very lightly when I get into a, a field of controversy about the interpretation of scripture. 
Uh, I'm never uh, afraid to talk about the virgin birth or the deity of Christ or the vicarious atonement or the bodily resurrection or salvation by grace through faith. But when I get into a field where men, good men, don't agree, I always walk very lightly. But when I was a young man, uh, I had a great many uh, mental disturbances about a great many passages of Scripture. And one day I read a book written by Dr. G. Cameron Morgan, a man for whom I had great respect and whose interpretation I had great confidence. I read a book that did everything for me, and I want to pass on to you before I take up the text uh, something I got out of that book. Uh, Dr. Morgan said that uh, when Kepler was trying to find the law of planetary motion, of course I knew this, he worked upon a good many hypotheses. And at last, uh, Kepler said, uh, I don't seem to be able to get at this thing. So I'm going to suppose that the path that planted around the sun is not a circle, but an ellipse. I'll just try this key and see if it'll unlock the thing for me. So he put in that key and unlocked the law of planetary motion and shouted and said, I think God sorts after him. And Cameron Morgan said in a very simple sort of way that he believed that the interpretation which I'm giving you now uh, is the key to the scripture. And I took that key and tried to unlock the word of God. And I want to be frank with you. I saw things I'd never seen before. Now, here's the key. Jesus is coming back sometime. There isn't any doubt about that. That's as clearly taught in the word of God as anything else. He was here one time, he died on a cross, he rose from the dead, he went back to heaven. He's coming again someday. Now that's clear. You know, we may differ about when he's coming, whether it's before the millennium or after the millennium, whether there is any millennium or not. But we certainly must agree that the Bible makes it clear that Jesus is coming again. I know he's coming. Life would be meaningless if we didn't look for his coming again. He's bound to come sometime. He has to come. Heaven and earth may pass away, but his word shall not pass away. And he said he was coming back. He said to his people, let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. And my father's house and many mansions, he said, were not so I would have told you. I'm going to prepare a place for you. And when I prepare the place, I'll come again, receive you unto myself. And where I am, there you may be also. So he is coming again. But Camel Morgan said, and I think this is the first time I ever saw it in print from anybody, he said that uh, this coming of Jesus was a twofold coming, there are two aspects to it. He said that Jesus is coming first to receive the saints, that the dead in Christ will be raised, those that fell asleep in Jesus, and living saints had been translated to meet him in the air. Then he said there was a period of, on the earth of darkness and tribulation. And the climax of that tribulation period, Jesus would come back again with the saints. Well, I turned over to Thessalonians and read about his coming and the Lord shall bring with him. Other words, he'll bring my mother back with him. My mother that's been in heaven since I was a little boy, 14 years old. He will come back someday and will bring my mother with him. And will bring back with him to this earth. And then we'll have the kingdom of heaven set up on this earth. Now, uh, another thing that came to me, when I began to think along that line, I read somewhere some by somebody, I'd never been taught any of this in any school, or by any theologian, any preacher. And there was so much obscurity to me about things that ought to be simple and clear. 
Some man said the kingdom of God and, God and the kingdom of heaven are not necessarily the same thing. They may be overlapping, but not necessarily the same thing. The kingdom of God, everything's in the kingdom of God. For instance, uh, the kingdom of heaven, he said, is a part of the kingdom of God. Someday the heavens will rule over this earth. Someday Jesus Christ is coming back and, and reign on this earth as king. Jerusalem will be the capital of the world. Now, you have no right to make all that figurative. That cannot be figurative. It's contrary to all sensible interpretation. Everything they said about Jesus here, woman shall be with child, literally fulfilled, bring forth the son, literally fulfilled, and so on and so on. And, and the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. He's never had it. He's never had it. The throne of David's in Jerusalem. Now, I was taught that all that was figurative, but it isn't figurative, it's literal. Say, listen, a great many Bible scholars believe we're on the verge of his coming. And I can think of no scripture that we need to read with more real reverence and more of a worshipful heart than the scripture I read to you this morning. Now, let's get back to it just a minute. Jesus Christ is on the way to the cross. He's going to die. That's what his life told you so many times he came to do. He came to die. He did not come to reign the first time he came. He came to die. He said so himself. He kept saying, mine hour has not yet come, mine hour has not yet come. When he stood in the shadow of the cross, he says, this is it. This is why I came. I came to die. He came to buy with his own blood, to purchase with his blood the souls of men. He came to die. That's his purpose. Everything else is incidental to it. For instance, if I've said so many times, I go off to a revival meeting in some city. Now, when I'm in the city, I eat and sleep and try to be sociable. But that's not why I'm in the city. I'm there at a whole revival meeting. All the things that happened in the life of Jesus Christ were incidental to the cross. He was on his way there. The Son on the Mount was uh, preached as he was on his way to the cross. He hugged babies to his bosom on his way to the cross. He calmed the troubled sea while he's on the way to the cross. But, oh, you know how we've gotten away from the cross. We're talking about a social gospel and we've forgotten that Jesus Christ came from heaven to earth to die. And, you know, we read that parable, how a man goes out to get his kingdom and he's cast out and he goes to a far country and then looks for, gets him a kingdom to return. Jesus Christ came down this earth to purchase it. Belonged to him anyhow, but it had gone into the hands of a usurper. He came to buy it back. I've used this illustration in my sermon on the Lord's coming. Uh, you know, uh, uh, here's a man, we'll say, in South Carolina that goes out west. And he gets out there and he buys some land. He comes back to South Carolina and a few years later he marries. And he says to his bride, I've got some property out west, we'll go out there to live. He and his bride go out there. When he gets out there, a man's taking over his land. He said, this is my land. I have a deed to it. I bought it. Here's my title. And uh, the man isn't inclined to give it up. And he puts the usurper off and takes over the land. Jesus Christ came down to this earth to buy it with his blood. It's his earth. All these hills are his hills. All the flowers that bloom are his flowers. Every stream that runs to the sea is a... His stream, all of it's here. This is his earth. This is not the devil's earth. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. He made it. And he came down here and bought it back after the title seemed to be had gone away. And then he went away. 
Now, while he's up in heaven, uh, he's getting him a bride. Jesus Christ is gathering out the nations of the earth, the people of his name. Someday the bride will be gathered in. And there'll be a wedding ceremony. The marriage of the Lamb will take place. And there'll be a great occasion. And when that marriage takes place, you read about in the book of Revelation, the marriage, the bridegroom and the bride, there's a marriage ceremony. And then Jesus takes his bride and says, I've got some land down yonder. It's my land. I bought it with my blood. And he said, we'll go take in our possessions. He comes back to this earth and brings his bride with him. And, and when he gets here, the usurper's here. And the usurper's armies are here. And rebellion's here. And he takes over. First thing he does is to chain the devil in hell. And the next thing he does is to take the kings and rule under them and conquer them. He scatters their armies. He... Judges the nations and everybody that's in harmony with him moves into his possessions with him. And we who have been caught up to meet him there will be back with him to reign with him. In fact, we'll be at the marriage ceremony. We make up the bride. All the redeemed of the earth make up the bride. What a glorious time it'll be. Now that's my understanding of the word of God. And that's the understanding of a great many men that know the word infinitely better than I'll ever know it. The great Bible teachers, many of them that I've known very intimately, hold that position. All right, what's that got to do with the scripture this morning? Let's go back. Jesus on his way to the cross. He talked about the sacrifices they'd have to make. He told them about taking up their cross and following him. And he went on and he talked to them. He said, there's some of you standing here that will not see death. Till you see the Son of Man come. And he said, I'm coming. I have a kingdom, I'm coming. And some of you standing right here won't see death. You'll never taste death till you see the Son of Man. That used to worry me. I said uh, they did taste death. But they didn't taste death until they saw Jesus in his kingdom. Six days later, he goes up on a mountain. When he gets up there on the mountain, he's transfigured in their presence. And uh, who's with him? Moses. Who is Moses? Moses represents all the dead. He's brought the dead with him. Who is Elijah? He's the man that didn't die. We who are alive remain caught up together in the clouds to meet the Lord there. Those that died in Christ are raised from the dead. Moses represents his crowd. Elijah represents his. And Jesus represents all of them. You know, people have such strange ideas. I thought about this as I read this scripture and you this morning. People talk so strangely about drama. This is anything wrong with the dramatic. This is quite a dramatic scene here. I had a letter the other day from a woman that criticized this institution severely because we gave any approval to drama. She said, I've been saved just since last September. I want to preach the whole school of science. And brother, she preached it. I wrote I said, I've been saved 57 years. I said, it's a rather strange thing that a woman that's been saved just a few months would write the type letter you write. You write too wisely for a baby in Christ. This is a strange, dramatic scene here. Now, wait a minute. 
This was not the kingdom, but it was the kingdom. It was a little uh, pre-showing of the kingdom. It was for a select group. Someday all the teeming millions will see it. But this was a little select group, a pre-showing of the greatest dramatic event that's ever going to take place in all future. Did you ever stop to think of the dramatic picture of the devil being seen in hell? The devil's no ordinary person now. Don't get the wrong idea of the devil. Don't talk lightly of the devil and don't try to make a joke about the devil. His majesty the devil. He's no ordinary person. When Jesus talked about his falling, he said, I saw him fall like lightning. Don't get the wrong idea of the devil. The devil's no ordinary personality if he could organize a third of the heavenly hosts and set up war in heaven. He's going to be cast down. There's going to be a mighty angel someday that's going to bind him. You talk about a dramatic scene. Devil chain, chain. The one who's prince of the power there. The one who had access to God and accused the servant of God and said he's working because it pays him. His name's Job. The one that tried to destroy Jesus when he was a baby. The one that stirred the mob to put him on a cross. Tried to kill him before he got to there. This mighty, terrible, awful personality is chained. Tied and bound and put into hell. I'll be glad when they change. What else? Nations judged. Jesus Christ in charge. Lions and lambs sleep together. Little child plays with circus. Everything it destroys and hurts. You talk about drama. This is just a little pre-parlor showing. For the greatest drama the world's ever seen or ever going to see. He said to some of you standing here, I'll give you a little, little previewing. Now what happened? Who's the hero of that play? Jesus. Do you notice that Moses and Elijah were talking to Jesus? Not to Peter. They were talking to him. They saw them talking to Jesus. What a picture. And you know, Peter said, I like this show. This is the nicest show I've ever attended sure would be nice to stay here how about our building a a theater all this is all figured I'm putting it this way don't misunderstand me let's fix a show house here let's uh, fix this thing up and we'll build a place for Moses and place for Elijah. 
and a place for you. And when he said three places, there's a flash of light. Moses was gone, Elijah was gone. And there was Jesus. And a voice cried out, This is my beloved son, listen to him. He's a hero. It's his show. It's his stage. It's his occasion. It's his kingdom in miniature. But between here and there's a cross. And blood. And a tomb. He endured that cross. He gave them a little pre-showing of the glory it's to follow. And the apostle Peter said, uh, we got a little look in on the mount. We saw. But he said, you've got something even better than that. There's a more sure word of prophecy. More sure than what you see and more sure than what you can hear is the word of God a more sure word of prophecy. Something more certain than what we saw. Something that we can depend on even more than what we witnessed to the Holy Mount when we saw him. When we didn't follow cunningly devised uh, fables of man. The sure word of prophecy. And he said, that's like a light that shines in a dark place. What's the light that shines in the darkness of this day in which we live? It's not in Rome. It's not in Washington. It's not in Moscow. It's not in Jerusalem. The light that shines is this glorious light of the Word of God that shines in the darkness. And men turn away from this light. And they do it because their deeds are evil. And even the light that shines in the darkness, they're being shown up today. Wise men talk so wise say so many things and then find they're wrong. Just before World War One, in an old aristocratic southern church, I heard a preacher preach. He said there'll never be another war. We've had our last one. This is the age of culture and brotherhood and refinement. And human decency. And there'll be no more war. And I sat there and listened. And hoped he was right. And the next day, 
I read in a paper where another famous preacher of another denomination, another great church, was on his way to Europe. And he said that uh, there would be no more war and he was going to contact certain people in Europe so there'd be no more war and they were getting them all together. And what happened? He got in Europe and got caught in World War I and it took him months to get home. And then after World War I, they said, uh, we're going to fix it now so there'll be no more war. We're going to build a new world. But they didn't listen to the Son of God. They listened to the moderator, the president of the convention, the uh, bishop, the diocese. No reflection on these men. They listened to some wise educator that said men are neither good or bad. They are just babies born that can be made bad over. They didn't listen to the word of God about man being born in sin. They listened to man. They turned away from the sure word of prophecy that lights up the darkness and says, this is a light. It's a little flash of that heavenly glory we're holding up in the darkness to keep you hopeful. Yes. A more sure word of prophecy. Young people, you're on the winning side if you're on his side. What shall it profit a man if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall he give in exchange for his soul? The Son of Man, he says, for the Son of Man is coming. Some of you won't be dead. You see me in my glory. And six days later, there's a little group of them up there for a pre-show. It sure is wonderful to be saved. It's more wonderful to be a saved, consecrated, faithful, cross-bearing Christian. It's still more wonderful to have a little knowledge of what's ahead of us. So we won't waste so much time doing nothing. The things that the world calls big things become little things. And the things the world calls little things become big things to us in no business. A man in this town told me the other day that uh, people about quit criticizing Bob Jones University around here. They seemed to think they had to put up with it. Looked like we were here to stay. And things were getting along pretty well, he said, and said, I don't hear much talk now except from a few church people. And these church people that talk say that we're a little fanatical. Why said they go out and ask people if you're Christians? You shouldn't do that, they say. You shouldn't. Why, they say, you know, they actually distribute literature and little gospel tracts telling folks what to do to be saved. Why, they shouldn't do that. What should they do? Well, ring a church bell on Sunday morning. 
Come if you want to. If you don't want to, go on down the road. What do we care? We'll be at a cocktail party next week with you anyhow, some of us. What do we care? And I said to this fellow, hey, you ever heard any old poor lost stumbling, blundering sinners criticize us for passing out gospel tracts? He said, no, strange to say, they don't seem to criticize. Doesn't that sound something like in the Bible about these folks that won't get in themselves and stand at the door and keep other people from getting in too? Block the way. Young people. You are on the winning side. You know, Jesus just showed these folks <laughs> that they couldn't lose falling in. That little pre-show was just a little thing to show them that the man who wins is a man who carries a cross. He just said, I'm going to give you a little peek into what's ahead of you. Just a little, I won't show much of it. For my kingdom is from everlasting to everlasting. But I'll just flash a little thing on the screen and give you a little look. No wonder Peter preached on the day of Pentecost. No wonder he is willing to put his head on a block. No wonder James and John and the rest of them, when the crisis came, went out to die. No wonder the early church suffered. They said he died for us. He rose from the dead. He'll be back sometime. And they kept asking him, when are you coming back? And he said, tend to your business. That's a secret. But I'll be back sometime. You know, it may be, who knows, but someday somebody that stands on this campus and goes to school out here in the kingdom it is to be may have a job. And some who were looked down upon in other places for faithfulness to Jesus may be a doorkeeper in the palace. Who knows? I have not seen or ever heard, neither have never the heart of man, the things that God has prepared for them that love him, but he's made known some things in the Scripture. You didn't see this picture that Peter and James and John saw, but you've seen the writer, a reviewer. Jesus was there. He who sometime later was mangled and bloody and naked and dead was there clothed with a light of glory. With Moses, the greatest man the Jew ever knew and probably the greatest man that ever lived next to the God-man was there talking to. Old Elijah, that mighty prophet of God, was there. 
they came on the stage and stepped off. God turned the light from the window of the sky on his son. And he was the only one they could see. And then God bent over the battlements of heaven and you couldn't see him there for the light of the glory of his son. And said, this is my beloved son. Listen to him. And the world hasn't listened. But it will someday when that little miniature kingdom revelation becomes a kingdom that covers the earth as the waters cover the sea. O Lord God, help us who have sometime forgotten thy son to fix our gaze on him today. He can still be seen by the anointed eyes of consecrated saved people. There's never been a night so dark or day in history so bloody. But if men want to have pure hearts, hearts made pure by the cleansing blood which he shed, they can still see. For blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Help thy people to keep looking up. We thank thee for Moses. We thank thee for Elijah. We thank thee for all thy servants who have lived and live still. But we thank thee most of all for thy son. We can't put anybody on the platform with him. And put them in the position he's in. He is the way, the truth, the life. Moses could show the way. Elijah could tell them they were not in the way and how they ought to get in the way. But they were not the way. He is the way. Help us to go this way. Help us to remember the way is not the Sermon on the Mount. The way is the one that preaches the Sermon on the Mount. Help us to realize more and more the salvation, no other name but in his name. Oh, Lord, God, help us here at Bob Jones University. As we've been praying our hearts in recent months, as you know, as never before, that we may not ever for one single moment focus a light on anyone except Jesus. Keep it there. We thank thee for good men and good women and Christian testimonies. But oh, how this world needs to see Jesus. The name high over all in heaven and earth and sky. Help us to be faithful to him. If there's anybody listening to this message over the air or happen to be out here on the campus that doesn't know him, help such an one to trust him. We pray in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.